Hello everyone, my name's Jack Fernan and this is Exploring Existence, a podcast that looks at the teachings and practices of the world's religions through the lens of personal experiences. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Nicholas Ung, who is a traditionalist Catholic, meaning that he participates in the old Tridentine Mass. The Tridentine Mass was the standard Mass that was performed before the Second Vatican Council, where a number of reforms were instituted that we talk about in the podcast. Nicholas is also a research fellow at the Australian Chinese Institute of Arts and Culture, where as a professional musician, he studies the relationship between Western and Chinese music. We began the podcast by talking about the early relationship between Australia and China. And within this, we also talked about Nicholas's personal discovery of his Chinese heritage, which he did primarily through music. We also explore Nicholas's Catholic background and how, through music, he was able to go on a religious journey through other faith traditions. We then talk about how this religious journey ultimately leads Nick back to the Tridentine Church and how he comes back with a new appreciation of some of the features of that Mass. We finish off dancing around the idea of religion and music and how Nick ultimately sees music as an expression of the divine. And so, everyone, thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, Nick, we're here today at the um, Australian Chinese Institute for for Culture and Arts. Yes, Arts and Culture. Arts and Culture. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) Both. both All those things. And at the University of Western Sydney. Western Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. And your position here is? I'm a research fellow. Okay. Yeah. Which... hmm. Do yeah. you do do you do teaching as well? A little bit, yeah. It's considered part of the job to um, contribute, so to you know certain you know guest lecturing here and there. And yeah, and, should, and what does what's what do you yeah. sort of focus on in in that teaching? Oh, um, my background's Chinese music, um, or you know Australia China sort of um, cultural interaction policy. Not really policy, but more the musical um, interaction and the history of that. Yeah. From early times till like to what's happening now. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, my training's in ethnomusicology, but I'm also trained as a composer. I work as a composer. So um so I do a bit of lecturing over at um the music department, which is out in Kingswood. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And do you wanna just give us a brief uh rundown on on that sort of the history between sort of Australian and Chinese uh, that sort of the relationship of or the history of the relationship history. between yeah yeah it's a, a kind of a long history I mean um, I mean if you really want to go way back into the past apparently there are Chinese fish hooks and things on on the north coast of Australia and um, a statue of a Chinese god was found you know um, by 18th century explorers but then the statue is much older so. Oh. Right. Mm, and it's attributed probably to the visit of a um, well-known um, admiral, a Muslim admiral um, um, called Tsung He, and he travelled the world. Well, we know he did because he sailed over to, you know, um, the Middle East and learnt how to navigate the Southern Ocean seas from uh, Middle Eastern sailors and and um, went to America, um, probably the top of Australia, you know, yeah. Um, because there's a map, um, there are early maps um, drawn in China, and um, there's the northern coastal oh, line. Wow. Yeah, so we know they, the Chinese knew about Australia, but I don't think they wanted to move here. You know, they're quite happy to visit, and yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's um, that. Uh, I, I was reading only a few weeks ago. There's a there's a recent theory that's come out about um, a lot of the people that sort of started to come to Australia. They think some of the early the earliest people coming to Australia just sort of came worked quite quickly down from China. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's um, an indigenous group, um, yeah, who are more like uh, maybe Polynesian or something like that. There are lots of studies, very interesting yeah. studies. And, yeah. and in in this discovery in the 18th century, they found did they find some instruments with... Oh, yeah, in the 18th century. Oh, and they found um, the statue of a Chinese, of a Chinese god, um, the god of longevity. Okay. Yeah, just up in um, in the Northern Territory. Um, and it's around that time, the 18th century, when the Chinese came, but um, in sort of um, different sort of um, so, uh, migration patterns. So, but mostly to come and work. So a lot of men coming to earn money because China was in a um, really bad state in the 18th century. Sure. Um, 19th century, I should say. Sorry, the um, 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sort of early yeah. early period with the gold rush and. Yeah, they came for the gold. They came for you know 
um, just to you know plant vegetables, sell them, and um, earn a living that way, send the money back to China. Sure. Mm. And and um, you personally, you came to Australia as a as a young boy. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I was um, three or four. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, uh, I've been um, very interested in learning more about my culture, even though I've grown up here. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of made it my life in a way through music, you know, through learning Chinese music and learning the culture through performative arts. Ah. Yeah. So, yeah. so music has been your way to sort of connect with that that Chinese culture that. I suppose wasn't that you weren't completely immersed with while growing up. Yeah, that's right. I had a bit of a um, bicultural upbringing, I guess. So it was quite Chinese at home, um, but then it was still quite Westernized in that um, the music was all you know, we learnt piano and um, violin, a little bit of violin, and um, yeah. So and I always thought, you know, why why am I playing the piano? Because I should be learning something cultural. You know, I'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, because the pianos. Yeah nor the violin uh, are Chinese instruments. No, they're not Chinese instruments. I mean, although they very much are um, part of the music scene in China now since, you know, the 19th century and the 20th century, the piano has kind of overtaken China. It's probably, there's always been a book about pianos and politics in China. It's quite interesting how, how almost every household has a piano, you know, it's sort oh, of yeah, taken yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, but, but music has always been a, uh, a central part of your life part of my, it yes mm, yeah all the way from um, the age of three four yeah i was learning music and and, and from yeah. a from an overview what would you say that you that you gain through the music that you play and i suppose the the career that you have created out of uh studying music um well i um i initially thought i'd pick up the the erhu the chinese two-string fiddle um, because I thought it was a good way to... That's, that's the, the one that's like a, a cello, but... Uh, it sits on the lap. It sits and, on the lap, yeah. And, and you bow it like a cello, correct, yeah. Yeah, I heard someone play. I had a breakdown on the piano and I couldn't play it for a whole year and my high school music teacher said to go to a concert and there was a lady playing it yeah. in Town Hall, uh, Sydney Town Hall, and so I just you know got her number and started learning this instrument because I'd never heard it before. Um, and... Um, I thought it was a good way to connect with my Chinese heritage. And then from then on, it was everything was, you know, China. I just had to learn all about the other instruments, had to learn how to write for the instruments too. And, and then went on to um, do a composition degree at uni. Yeah. And all my lecturers were um, encouraging me to keep playing the Ohu and to keep composing, you know, using China as a source of inspiration. Um, yeah, so... That, that helped me. I guess it's that sort of identity identity search, isn't it? Quite a few people go through that, like, who, who am I? What am I doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, especially culturally, yeah. And did you find that when you were playing that instrument that you yeah. did feel more in touch with those sort of cultural aspects? And were you, and were you getting you were obviously getting something different out of playing the Erhu that you weren't get from weren't getting from piano playing the piano. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I loved playing the piano and um, even though I had that period where I couldn't actually play for a whole year because it was very competitive and had a breakdown, but I'm very grateful for the thousands of dollars that my parents spent on sending me to <laughs> piano lessons and yeah, but then yeah, you that base on which to build. Absolutely. I really need those skills. I, especially I'm trained as a Western composer. So um, when I'm writing music, um, I really rely on those piano skills and um and just the knowledge I gain from learning piano, it's all part of me, you know, so I can't ever throw that away and, um, and I don't ever want to. And, but the Yahoo added an extra element to, my, to what I do, you know, and um, it's also for me a much more relaxing instrument sometimes. I mean, piano can be relaxing too, of course, um, but um, there's something about the instrument that resonates with um, um, just with my spirit i don't know yeah um it's yeah i just find there's this sort of connection sonic connection with the instrument yeah right so when yeah. you're when, when you're playing that instrument what what sort of what sort of feelings do you get from 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 playing that um oh it's i guess um it's one of meditation so um I think for me, I mean, I, I've been studying different types of meditation for um, for a while, um, but for me, um, playing the Yohu is another form, really. 
and something I don't have to study in a way because um, it's not something you can learn, you know, online or from a teacher. It's something experiential. Yeah. So it's like an experiential kind of meditation, just me and the sounds I'm making. And um, it's very grounding, very grounding. And I just really um, am able to zone out when I'm playing. And, and just, I guess for the, the, the old cliche, losing yourself. Yeah, I really do lose myself yeah. in the music, yeah. And I've done that on the piano too, you know. Um, but um, I guess it's another, well, it's easier in a way on the ear here because, um, well, I can always take it with me wherever I go, whereas with the piano you kind of, the venue needs to have one. It's a bit more you know. cumbersome, yeah. Yeah, it's slightly harder to travel <laughs> yeah. with the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and so do you, do you, where, what are the, what are the sort of places that you go and, and play the Erhu just for personal enjoyment? Oh, no. Well, I mean, it's become a work thing. So I, I do get gigs and um, I have been freelancing for about 15 years. Um, could be anywhere. Yeah, the, sure. So this, this Friday, well, it's this Saturday. Oh, actually the 7th yeah so actually it's tomorrow, tomorrow night yeah. we're going to um the synagogue manual synagogue so we're doing a concert there oh wow yeah and what and so, what's and so that's you that that's you in this ensemble yeah and they and the synagogue's invited you to to perform there yeah yeah for some reason they um i mean they're very um um interested in music and culture and so um i think when the director at the festival approached them or some, somehow there was an interest there, you know, to, to get us in. So we're doing a program of music from around the world. Yeah. Um, sorry, and, sorry yeah. we should say that the festival being the, the Sydney Sacred Music Festival. Yes, the Sydney yeah. Sacred Music Festival, yeah, which has been going for about eight years now. No, nine years. It's the ninth year. Wow. Yeah, it's been going for a while. But it, it's one of those very underfunded festivals and it's not like Sydney Festival. Yeah, so, yeah. so when it says... Uh, the sacred music festival. Yeah. What do you think the What do you think the, the festival's trying to get at when it's saying that? Oh, um, it's um, I mean, it's sacred in uh, not in a religious sense. Um, I mean, of course, that's one part of it. So there, um, traditionally, ha- um, there um, there are concerts in a church or something. It's all vocal music from the Renaissance or something like that. Yeah, or a Haydn mass at Christchurch St. Lawrence, you know, in the city. Um, and this year we're working a bit with the cathedral, um, St. Mary's Cathedral. But um, um, it's also about the sacredness of music and um, the individual's experience of the divine through the creation of sound. Yeah, so um, because music is a sacred thing. So it's a different understanding of sacred to the religious sense, you know, it's not that. Yeah. Yeah. R- religious in the sense of sort of like in- institutional. Institutional religion. religion yeah. yeah. So, so we're not explicitly saying, okay, we're going to have a music of uh, a concert of Christian music. We're not doing that, you know, it's. A, yeah. And yeah. And actually <laughs> in many respects, it's like an excuse just to um, put on multicultural music. So it's really become a multicultural festival. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And even, you know, there'll be folk songs from, you know, some part of the world and nothing sacred about the text, you know, it's yeah, yeah, very yeah. secular actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but like when, when you were saying before that, uh, there's something about music in and of itself, yeah. which has, a sacredness. Yes, I think so. And yeah. um, it's quite, I, get, I suppose music is quite um, elemental or, or, or fundamental to to humans. Uh, um, a lot of people say that, that, that music is, is the one language that all people can speak to one another without, yeah, they without do say meaning, meaning translation. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I mean, despite the fact that there are different scales and you know, structures or instruments from all around the world, there's still something through the production of sound that people can relate to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so you, in your, in your sort of music career, you, you seem to have this, um, aspect of sort of the sacred or, or the, perhaps this isn't the right word, but the uh, sort of religious element to, to your, your study and your performances. Yeah. Um, where where did that come about? And I suppose I'm ultimately asking sort of what your personal religious background is. 
Yes, yes. Um, so um, I was raised a Catholic, and um, we um, uh, maybe many people um, aren't aware of the fact that the um, Catholic Church is actually quite diverse. There are different types of Catholics, and we're um, we're from the old church, the old right, yeah, which is different to the mainstream church. They're in the majority. Uh, that's the main sort of. Um, I guess the uh, majority of people are what we call modern Catholics, yeah. and they use a, um, a post-Vatican um, II. Catholics. Post-Vatican II. I'm glad you can use the terminology. Okay, yeah. great, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, so I, I'm from that branch, which is um, not post-Vatican. It's pre. Yeah. Yeah. So we use the um, 1500s version of the Mass yeah. liturgy. The, you know, the liturgy is the yeah, um, yeah Tridentine. The, the yeah. Tridentine Trident, Mass. Yeah, that that one. Mm-hmm. Which. Uh, uh, oh, I'm going to have a stab here. Yeah. Um, Pope Pius V in 1570 came up with the papal edict that's tried to um, bring all the various types of masses together under he, the one. He tried to um, standardise it because it's like Ambrosian and all those other ones. And Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think that's what the church has been good at doing since inception. It's trying to um, stamp out the dissidents. Yeah, yeah. But but they never quite succeed because there's always some sort of strand of, you know, and we can't help variety. And I love that in the fact, you know, and even actually the good thing about it is even though the Trinitine thing was all about conforming to a central authority and, um, Lots of variants still sprung up, like in China. There were Jesuit priests going to China in the 1600s and then sort of indigenized in a certain way. Mm. And actually, um, all of those things were allowed over the course of time. So so for about four, 500 years or whatever it was after the, that particular, the Council of Trent, um, those little variations for it were kind of kept and it was fine. It was kind of celebrated like the priests in China had what's called a Ching Ching. It's a type of um, Confucian type hat that was um, used by the Jesuit priests, you oh, know, because right. yeah. they were great. Um, they were great Chinese scholars. You know, they learned Confucian texts, could speak Mandarin fluently, what was called old Chinese, I guess, you know, the old version of Mandarin. And, yeah. and they worked for the emperor, you know, and they, so they had a kind of priestly outfit that was, um, Chinese looking and it was kind of it was kind of fine with you know until Vatican II and then they started you know, saying no you have to you know use this type of cassock and you can't you can't have the buttons you know so yeah yeah <laughs> so, so certain things then again got stamped out and so every time they have a gathering usually this one's just waiting for the next one and see what yeah. happens <laughs> yeah I suppose uh, a bit of a divergence Vatican II is uh, a bit interesting in that regard because on the one hand, the mass was changed from being a Latin mass to the vernacular. To the vernacular, yeah. so it. On one hand, it sort of brought dissidents into into sort of a uniform method, but on the other hand, it sort of changed that uniformity into something that was, uh, I suppose, understandable by yeah, that's by right, every person in the in the locale yeah that's right yeah it makes you think yes there are actually very lots of layers to the second writing council yeah. yeah as you say it was all about um making it accessible to you know everyone um and not this sort of latin based only and um and yeah and there was this thing called enculturation which was you know we'll have african tribal drumming in the mass it's fine you know um um whereas maybe before it kind of wasn't okay and um um, but then there were still other things that they wanted to lay in place. Like you can do this, but you can't do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, it's actually quite, quite an interesting study. Yeah, yeah quite paradoxical in the way that they've gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, we digress. We, we, we were talking about your... Uh, your oh yeah your sort of personal history yeah, yeah. that's right and yeah so I, I'm sort of um, more I guess I'm accustomed to the old right in terms of being a Catholic um, which maybe then also opened up my interest in old things in general which is why then I was looking at early instruments like the Chinese um, the ahu you know the instrument I play and other anything early or old I love you know and um, um, yeah, and that's so that's my religious sort of background. Um, I sing, I have been singing since I was a boy, um, plain chant and Renaissance polyphony, because in our community we don't really um, sing anything um, 
after Mozart. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite backward looking. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, in, a, in a good way. Um, well, some people say not a good way, but... Um, it's holding on to the things that are deemed of worth. Yeah, of worth. Yeah, it was the high Renaissance period and it's sort of the period they're trying to hold on to, you know. Yeah. Um, ever since, um, especially ever since Benedict made that um, statement in 2007 about the um, Latin mass never being... Um, abolished you know yeah. and it should actually be allowed in every single parish whereas before it was a kind of gray area and yeah, yeah so now so with that sort of freedom then people are sort of um yeah trying to uh, actually it's growing so a lot of young people are now coming back to the old mass and yeah it's great and i, and I love seeing that yeah and, but i find though that um so that music that we sing um it's european you know it's very european and um, and I like to complement that with what I do with Chinese instruments because they they, they don't really go together <laughs> in a way, yeah. um, but but they can you know they can um, in my in my world in my sound world, and so I often draw on chant, um, and I play chant on the erhu, you know, oh, wow. yeah. So I, I translate the notes onto my instrument. Um, I um, I have been studying Eastern religions. So um, when I was doing my doctorate, I studied a lot of um, Buddhism in the Chinese community in Sydney. My doctorate was on how Chinese immigrants adjust to being in a new country through their religion as a sort of center for the community, which is kind of ethno-specific, like mostly all the same race. But, um, but they're a new country. How does that help them adjust or doesn't it help them adjust? You know, I was looking at that and through music too. So I found that... Um, um, that there was a lot of interesting things happening. Interesting things happening. Yeah. In those religious centres. Yeah. Um, but the, for, for you personally, um, you you came into the Australian community as, as 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 a traditionalist Catholic, and did you find that that was inhibiting in your capacity to uh, get involved in the Australian culture? Because you you say that. Um, I suppose your study was on, on Buddhism, which has that sort of Eastern uh, element to it, whereas the traditionalist Catholic is... It's very European. Very yeah. European-centric. Yeah. yeah, European and um, from the 1500s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, I, I just... Um, I mean, I went in as a... Um, in anthropology, we call it as a participant ob- observer. So I, I went in and I, over a period of three years, I, I got to kind of become a member of the community in a way. Okay. I attended all their things and I did the same with the Australian Catholic community. So they, they, they belong to the modern church. So, so different to, actually, it's quite interesting because, um, you know, they have the massive Mandarin, very Chinese, you know, a lot of Chinese culture in, in the Roman Catholic mass and it's, but the modern version. And so... In a way, I was an outsider, but I found a way to get in and I got to know the people. And so then I could compare the two religions in a way, you yeah. know, in the current day, like contemporary Buddhism and contemporary Catholicism. And um, it was very interesting, the things I found. Did you see any stark differences or stark similarities between um, that sort of those two contemporary uh, practices, especially, I suppose, in the Chinese community here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, see, it's such a big group to study. And so I had to really hone in on just one Buddhist group and one Catholic group. Yeah. Otherwise, there's yeah, like yeah. Australian Chinese Baptist Church. Um, you yeah, know, you spend your life yeah. writing yeah. a doctoral <laughs> thesis. <laughs> I know, which would actually have you two um, PhDs, I think, because yeah. it's too many groups. There's yeah. just too many groups. Oh, mate, at least. I know. Yeah. It's just, um, but yeah, so luckily I, I narrowed it down to just two main groups. And yeah, I found a lot of similar- similarities because, I mean, obviously they have different theology, you know, theological you know, beliefs and uh, concepts are different. But um um, that there's this movement to create new music that's what I found, and that interested me as a composer, because and, um, and that and they were occurring in both um, at the same time. Both, yeah, wow. Often without any contact, because there's no crossover. There's yeah. pretty much no. I was the only one crossing over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a spy, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and both both groups and um, the Buddhist one is actually like a um, um, multi national organization they built the big temple in Wollongong do you know that big one yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so they're rich they have a lot of money (laughs) and um, they commissioned these well they've got these programs where people invited to set the text of the grand master to um, music 
and they encourage contemporary styles. So there's rap, you know, there's pop sort of ballads and they'll, they'll have big competitions and then they'll send the three finalists over to Taiwan, which is where the Grandmaster lives, and then they'll compete for the first prize. Oh, wow. Every year they do it. And I think that is amazing revitalization yeah. of the culture. Um, so people, you'll find people quoting bits of Buddhist chant but it's part of a rap routine, you know? It's yeah, quite, how does, how does quite, that work? I don't know, yeah. but it seems to excite a lot of people in the community. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be like a sensory overload. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it's this sort of Anglo-American sound, but it's in Chinese and it's Buddhist, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's quite interesting, I think. And a similar situation in the... The Catholic Church too. Um, they don't have the rap. I haven't noticed the rap as much, but there are new hymns. Oh, it'll come. Don't <laughs> <you>? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, in both groups, English is now like the new language for the hymns. So they've got Buddhist hymns, new Catholic hymns, and no one's not many in Chinese anymore. Like they they do a lot of English, and and even with the traditional chant, I notice um, the. Um, the um, nuns are singing bits of it in um, English now. Yeah. Have yeah. they just um, translated the Sanskrit, the Sanskrit or the Buddhist? To, yeah, yeah, the, to yeah. into English. Yeah. So, so trying to maintain the meaning of the words, but yeah, d- doing almost a, a Vatican II. It, it's a that. Vatican II. Yeah, it's yeah. a Vatican II, which I find very interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah so from that, I, I was able to, you know, come up with um, some of my own music. So um, based on what they're doing. And yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how, um, how, how did you, I suppose it seems a bit odd that you are part of that sort of traditionalist. Oh, Catholic. I see. Yeah. How did that come about? Um, I, I was born into it. And, right, okay. um, yeah, I was a cradle Catholic and, um, um, and also because the atmosphere, I mean, the environment I grew up around uh, in was a traditional one. Yeah, and um, you'll find little pockets of um, traditionalists everywhere, you know, and yeah. I happen to be in that sort of... And so yeah. was it your, 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 your father or mother? My, my mum, yeah. She was... Yeah, the... my, she, well, she brought us up in the church and yeah. all, my brothers and I were all, um, were all singing and, you know. Yeah. And um, my brothers have left the religion. I, I haven't actually left. I, I took a little bit of time out while I was exploring other religions yeah. and um, spirituality in general. Um, but recently I've gone back to um, singing a lot at, um, at my local, where we have the traditional mass. I've been singing there a lot lately. And yeah. Is that I mean, the one in Lewisham? past few years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Since moving back to Sydney. And, mm. But even when I was living in, I was working up at Queensland Conservatorium and I joined the, the choir there, traditional choir. And I, I think I just loved Latin and, and Renaissance harmonies, you know. So I just loved that sound, sound world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, so. and did you did you find? Cause you you say you went on sort of a a um, a religious quest. Quest. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you What did you tap into, or what did you find while you were while you were doing that? Oh, um, well, I was. I think I was looking at um, how um, I, I might not think like a normal Catholic because I, I don't think. In the absolute truth, um, I mean, maybe not every Catholic does, but um, I mean, we're, we're taught certainly in general Christianity that that that, that is the correct path to God. Um, and um, I don't know how public this is, but I, I actually don't really think there is only that one path, which is why I thought, well, how do other people do it? You know, because I've been going to this particular, I've been, I'm in this club, <laughs> and what is it like in the others? You know, yeah. so that's why you know I. That's why, you know, Buddhism and also I studied a bit of Hinduism and Islam, which is a bit harder for me to study. Um, but um, mainly because, uh, you know, it's just access to a mosque and, you know, I can't really. Whereas it's easier to find a Buddhist temple. You know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing. And um, yeah, and, um, and it was easy for me to um, do this kind of soul searching in a way through sound because I really love sacred music from all around the world and so um it was just you know quite divine going into a hindu temple for a puja you know and just listening to the music um and the rituals that go with i'm very interested in um, music um with a function so um the functionality of music 
um, maybe because I spend a lot of my time learning to play music in a concert hall. And now I just think that's boring. <laughs> you know, why do you do that? I yeah. It's much better when the music is for a reason. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting to look at how music works for even like say in the mass itself, um, the music's there for a reason, you know, it's yeah. actually part of something else that's going on. And, and yeah, I, it's to accompany, accompany a, a ritual. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So I find that that's very interesting. And how do other people use music to accompany their rituals? Yeah. That's one of the things I was looking at. So in going to these yeah. different religious traditions, music was sort of the first thing that you, I guess, identified and attached to as well as the one thing that was uh, uniform throughout. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that certainly was um, the thing that drew me in, like the sound world of the temple, Hindu temple, or the sound world of the Buddhist temple. Or the, I found I, I found all those sounds very appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I think one religion I really haven't has had as much chance to study might be... Um, um, uh, Judaism. Yeah. Even though it's our direct, you know, um, ancestor in that sense, because we come from that religion, the Catholic one. Yeah. But, um, I haven't been to many, um, synagogues. Yeah. So that's what I'm really excited about tomorrow, oh, you know, yeah, going to yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can go and see if they're rapping in the synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> rapping in the synagogue. <laughs> yeah. And so when yeah. you, when you started to go back to, the um the tridentine mass that oh, traditional yes. mass yes, yes. um that that mass is quite uh i guess mystic is probably not too strong a word because it's very um as we were saying earlier there's a lot of um there's a lot of chanting in the, and, and ritual they, there's a yeah. very ritual based yeah yeah um incense is used yeah. like, quite prolifically and, and it's yeah. everyone because because there's no sort of I guess uh, cerebral element because you can't really understand what is being said. No, yeah, it, you yeah. sort of get drawn into yeah. that transcendental element yes, of, of what's yeah. going on because yeah. because you're not able to understand it yeah, yeah, at, yeah. at sort of that <laughs> top level. Did you find that? Did you find that going back into it, you felt a bit more um, uh, leveled or accepting of that style after going and seeing seeing the music and, and sort of those rituals performed in, in the other traditions? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, for me, it was like, um, I guess, um, coming home in a way because it was all the sounds and smells and, and all the things I was used to seeing. Um, yeah, and at the same time, yeah, it's um, it was a bit of a learning spiral. I, I don't know if you've heard of this, the Gadamer's spiral of learning, where you start at one point and you go through lots of things and you come back and your understanding's deeper. Yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah, so the hermeneutic curve they call it, and I think that was for me that hermeneutic coming back to the center again, but a deeper understanding of, I think for me, it's a deeper understanding of humanity. Even though I was studying religion, I was looking at how humans do it. Because, um, and this Roman sort of, you know, European culture that was developed um, through the Middle Ages until the Renaissance, you know, how they did it in that very formalized, um, it's militant. It's a militant, you know, the... Um, I've been studying a little bit of um, how to serve as an altar boy as well, and it really is—it's the military. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but it's—it's <laughs> it's very. It's, yeah. it's, it, there's a hierarchy. Like um, I'm singing in the scola, which is the male choir that sits in the sanctuary, um, and we have rank. So we're ranked above the altar boys. We're oh, just okay. under the. Um, yeah. Um, oh, who? How we? There's, so there's the priests. If the, if it's a full on. Um, high mass, high mass. Um, solemn mass. Then we have the priest, the um, subdeacon, and the uh, the deacon and subdeacon, and then there's the um, the um, MC, the master of ceremonies, and then um, and I think under him um, is us, the singers. You know, so it's interesting to find there might be someone else in between, but yeah, it's interesting to find how high we rank as musicians, and then underneath that are the different types of altar boys, because oh, there's right. then there's different types of altar boys. Yeah, yeah so yeah. the torchbearers are at the end because they have to kneel through the whole 
um, 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 concentration segment of the mass and I think they're um, right at the bottom yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah so so yeah there's a whole and then when we're incensed during mass they have to do it in that order so they'll they'll do the higher ranking people then us the singers then the lower ranking altar boys and then you know down to the very last one yeah yeah so yeah, yeah I find that quite interesting but but um, when you all come together and perform your your various roles you are able to produce this uh, form of of worship that yeah if you were to take one element away no, you it need wouldn't every single... be it wouldn't be the same every element is essential yeah oh yeah i mean it really depends we need every man in a way to f- fulfill a role um just like the minimum amount because there are times I've, I've rocked up to mass and then oh we don't have enough service so we can't do this the high mass so we'll have to do a missa cantata which is the song mass which is the i guess the number two version yeah yeah so the preferred version is the solemn high which is with everybody and then you've got the missa cantata where you only have one priest, but you still need a certain number of altar boys, and then you have the low mass, and that one's just one priest and one altar boy. That's the, yeah, that's the you know in times of war or something. You only need <laughs> two people. Yeah, yeah, bottom yeah. On the barrel type, uh, yeah, type mass. That's right. Yeah, and, and it's the shortest form. It it, it can go for forty five minutes or an hour, and just sort of rattle it off. And because I'm not much singing, and whereas the solemn high can go for two hours, you know, or more, depending on how much singing you do. And yeah, yeah. So that one is quite long. Yeah. Do you, do you find that by performing that, that you are able to, to really get involved in that, um, in that realisation of the divine, in that transcendental aspect that the, that the mass is trying to produce? Yeah, I, I think so, yeah, especially with the music. And, I mean, the, there's a lot of manpower involved uh, in producing this the thing called the mass. And um, I think there's a lot of um, spiritual benefits and... Um, yeah, realization of what is the divine, you know, and and I mean, um, I have to say it's probably the same for someone going to their temple. You know what I mean? Like it's, except that the physicality of it is different. Like um, in in the Indian, you know, temples, there's the flame, the burning flame, and there's other things like the. I guess the thing about humans is we traditionally like to have some sort of symbolism involved. Um, and uh, a material thing that uh, something tangible we can hold on to and and it really reflects on the culture so i think like the roman european culture you know very visual you know the gold embroidered vests from the renaissance you know the high period when i guess the church was quite decadent (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, and it was all about you know the imagery and you know you sort of transported like that and the sound the very very um complex harmonies that were produced in the renaissance you know and um, and then you see how that's sort of um, done in another culture. Um, and um, I think for them, their experience of God is probably quite similar, you know what I mean, like uh, to mine in my own church. And yeah. And, and so in doing that, in, in, in performing the Mass in that sort of traditional way, yeah. you're still able to sort of connect to that um, vehicle. And yeah, I, I suppose so, one, yeah. of the th- one of the criticisms, I guess, that is laid against the... Um, the reformed mass, or the like, the post-Vatican II oh, mass, oh, oh, yes, is that yeah. it's become, to a certain extent, a little bit stale, and the extent to which there is a um, a liturgy, it's sort of all on the all on like the lay members of the church yeah, to yes, perform yes. The, the music and have yeah. have that sort of aspect to it, yes, which yes. beforehand. And and you and the, the extent to which you still experience in your mass, they the two were very much one and the same. You can't have, as you say, the high mass without all those essential elements, yeah. of which one is is music. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, the high mass definitely you require music. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you need it. Um, that's right. So there's a missing element. It's you can't do it. Yeah. So and that's probably why there was the low mass because in I'm I'm, I'm sure in most before Vatican II, in most parts of the world, like in your, you know, sort of um, everyday suburb or village, uh, you didn't have that many people serving. You didn't have the music specialists to sing because the music was quite, 
I mean, you, you have to rehe- you have to rehearse it, you know, quite a lot. You yeah, know, it's quite technical to make it and, yeah. sound good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 and you need the four parts or five parts. Sometimes there are eight parts, you know. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It takes time to put together, and so yeah, I think a two-hour service, you got to have some lungs to do. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so I think only in the really big cities they could always do the high masses. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure in the small little villages, um, there'd only be one priest and one altar boy, and so they'd have the low mass. Yeah, yeah, and that's completely fine. I'm, I'm sure you know you, you don't need to go to high mass to experience God. You know you can. Yeah, yeah. The low mass is fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I know there's a lot. Actually, I, I, I was um, this is probably off the topic, but I became aware of the 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 divide between the old church and the new because I I was invited to work um, at a, a mainstream parish in Brisbane as the music director for about two years, and it was a music it was a church famous for its music. But a lot of the music was modern, you know. Right. Um, but it was a beautiful 19th century church, yeah. Um, but because of the... Um, I don't know if you've heard about this church, but that was where Peter Kennedy used to work. And he was um, he was famous for not being um, a regular priest. So he, um, he had people preaching for him and he brought the altar into the middle of the church. Yep. Yeah, you know about this guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. Yeah, so, so they, just had, they had just gotten rid of him. And the um, the arch the cathedral stepped in and they brought because their, because they got rid of him because he was quite controversial. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah they asked him to um, please hand the keys over and yeah. So he he moved his congregation down the road to the Labor Party um, office and they had Saint Mary's in Exile they called it and they, I think they're still going. Yeah. Um, and then they used to send pamphlets up to us to try and get recruits. <laughs> which quite, and once there's even a jar of jam for the priests, it was quite funny. They, they were trying to keep you know and. Um, but yeah, so they hired me in just a, a year or so after the transformation because the, um, the cathedral had stepped in and they sent their, you know, their priest in to try and fix things up. But it was still quite modern. It was very pro everything, like pro, pro women, pro, which is fine, you know, pro people being a part of the community. But, um, the Franciscan monks had come in to take over and they slowly were moving the altar back into the sanctuary right. week by week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and but the priest I had was quite modernist, you know, he was quite um and we weren't allowed to sing in the choir loft. And I said, why not, Father? And he said, well, because in in the um, Second Vatican Council, people are all equal, and so we can't have people elevated, you know. And um, for me, I wasn't even thinking. I was thinking more about sound production because we were on, because <laughs> we were on the same level, and it was a um, 19th century church with a high ceiling, and so. Um, you can't really hear people singing unless you're up the top. So, because you need that reverberation. Yeah, because yeah. they knew how to build churches with sound. They, the church builders knew acoustics; like they really knew what they were doing. Yep. So yeah, it was in this 19th century church, but so on the ground level, we they, they'd already moved the organ down. Everything was on the ground floor, and um, the singers all had microphones, so everyone needed a mic. Every single person. So, and I just thought that was very impractical. I mean, we're in a beautiful church, you know, like, why don't I just go sing yeah, to the top? Yeah. You know, it's much better. Yeah, so things like that. And then because I'm from the old right, I introduced Latin. And, um, and then I got complaints soon after. So people actually complained oh. against the language I was about singing, thinking it was the Catholic language. And I started to think, you know, uh, what sort of organization am I working for? <laughs> They're complaining about Latin. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it's Nick, it's because people don't understand it. And I was like, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, but so, I, I suppose that's, like, that's an interesting idea because to understand in in the context of a church is um, like everyone is going there to try and understand something which is ultimately incomprehensible. Yeah, like if, if anyone, uh, Einstein's favorite famous quote is, uh, I want to know God's thoughts, the rest are details. Uh. If we could know, <laughs> if we could, anyone could know yeah. um, those sort of answers, yeah. then a lot of then we would live in a completely different world that's right um, that's right and yeah. so to say that you can't sort of understand the language yeah uh i suppose misses the point maybe, maybe that's a bit um <laughs> yeah, maybe, I, I, you, you still need to understand well you see you uh, have to, to a certain extent i think you do yeah um, and that's what i love about i mean um I, i'm not trying to just defend my own religion but um, even though everything's in Latin, the gospel will always be translated. 
So, um, well, it depends on which priest you're working with, but say in Brisbane, even though it's all sung, it's all chanted, the gospel's chanted, but then afterwards in the sermon, he'll read it word by word in, in English, you yeah. know, word for word. Yeah, or it'll be printed out, you know, on the sheet and so people can follow because there's always bilingual text, so you can, you know, exactly what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, but I do, I do understand. And so, and we were getting, um, uh, yeah, I think it was just hard working in an environment that, um, I think I found it harder working for the Catholic Church than doing my Buddhist observations in the monastery. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah, found yeah. it harder for me. Because <laughs> yeah. it was political. Like, there were things like I wasn't allowed, like, um, um, just simple things. Just I, I can't remember what, but it's things I'm used to doing. But then they'll say, no, you can't do that because no bells. So we're not allowed to have bells, like until consecration or something, you know, things that, right. you know, whereas in the old right, the bells, you know, we ring them before mass during, you know, yeah. when They're the priest yeah, yeah, we like yeah. bells. Yeah. yeah. So it's things like, uh, I just can't remember, but, um, but yeah, I do understand the reason why the Mon church is the way it is. And, um, I do understand like the old right might be harder for women. Um, it's probably, I'll probably get in trouble saying this, but, but there's this sort of idea that the woman is, um, you know, she's the mother and most, I have to say, most of the women in my community don't, don't work. Yeah. And, and the ch- kids are all homeschooled mostly, not all, but a lot. Yeah. So they they have nine children or five children, you know, and, and mums at home. It's very, it's very 1950s, if yep. you know what I mean. Yeah. It's still that sort of, and I kind of like still that. Still have the roast after mass. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really, it's like time warp. <laughs> yeah. It's really, I kind of like that in a way. I, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there are women who work too. Don't get me wrong. It's not all like, when they're not all misogynists or yeah, something. Yeah. But, yeah. but the women who stay at home are working. Like they're, they're still working. Yes. Yeah, they're yeah. still working. <laughs> Might not be paid. But. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's arguably quite, more important. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, it's, I have a three year old and it's hard work. It's really hard work. Yeah. I don't know how people have five or seven or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, and no, so I do find that in my, this religion, I can't, I can't like bring my Urhu in and say, hey guys, I'm going to play this today. Sure, it, it doesn't yeah. work like that. Whereas the nice thing about the modern church is say I was in Canberra and the Canberra church is quite progressive, like quite, I've heard the choir ladies talk about things that are, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure if this is the right religion, but anyway, I should be. But, um, so they're quite good, and um, and they love the Yahu. So I played the Yahu in 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 the modern mass in in the Canberra Cathedral. Yeah, you know, and I would never be invited to do that here in Sydney. In, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's different. Yeah, I suppose both as both um, both masses, both churches have have good and bad elements. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm always trying to remind myself you have to have a balanced view so you can't yeah. be you know pro one thing and, yeah, and, and that probably <laughs> goes back to your um experience beyond your the church that you grew up with your your soul search yeah yeah going yes. into sort of the different buddhist and Hindu and yeah traditions yeah yeah exclusion's not good and also exclusion like just thinking that other people are not rice is probably not the right way to do things i think yeah, yeah. um yeah i mean that's just me and i i that's the way my mum taught me, even though she's a very traditional Catholic, but she's always taught me this. Um, I think it's also because for her, she, she could see how um, important open-mindedness is. Like um, from her own experience growing up, she's from Singapore. And so um, she was from a uh, very poor family, so on the verge of poverty. And the reason why she's Catholic is because of the Catholic Church mission, you know, and was a French priest. And he was very open-minded and he respected the fact that a lot of the people that were taken care of, the poor, the hungry, were not Christian at all. Um, And he had no problems with them doing their rituals in front of him. And, you know, he'd visit a house with justics burning to a certain Buddhist, um, Taoist deity, and he was fine, you know, and she really respected that. And so she she was brought up being open-minded about religion. Yeah. And in Singapore, there are Hindus, there are Muslims, you know, so <laughs> I think that helped too with her open-mindedness. And I think and you, you get uh, a lot better receptivity when you do, when you go in with that sort of mind frame. Like yeah. You, you were talking before about the Jesuits going into China. Yes. And so them, yeah. I think one of the great, one of the main reasons for their success was their, um, willingness to learn about the culture that they were going into, learning the, about Confucius and learning how 
the uh, the Christianity that they were coming with yeah. could mm, gel with the culture that they were absolutely. going into. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't like a, a pillage and conquer and this is our religion, you must accept it. It was a slow... It was, they were smart. I think Jesuits just have this... Um, label as being the smart priests like they knew how to do it like they were smart about things yeah like a just bit. don't tell them that they yeah. don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> oh the orders changed a lot recently they, they're not the same as they used to be i, I guess in the you know 1500s or 1600s a bit different ever yeah they definitely and actually on that topic um i just thought i'd slip in one of the the ways they were successful was um um they they allowed the converts to venerate the ancestors. You might have heard about this. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because yeah. ancestor worship is very is very prominent in um, Chinese culture. Yeah, and, it's important. And, very um, important. And yeah. that was one of the main things that Confucius spoke about was yep. um, yeah, sort uh, of honouring the mother and father, the ancestors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The main reason, the, the 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 main way they got the scholars to believe in their god, the Christian god, the Catholic god, was the the word Tianzhu in um, in um, Mandarin in Chinese, which is um, the word for God. It, it, in a way, it means the emperor in heaven, you know, <laughs> or the heavenly emperor. And that 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 actually worked really well with um, all the people um, in charge, you know, um, all the bureaucrats and even the emperor um, understood what they meant when they find, when they said, so the Confucian texts actually are referring to our God too. So it's the same God, you know, and that, yeah. that was the, that was breaking the ice that really, that got them in, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people converted um, high up in society and then they were allowed to build churches and then, you know, and, and they allowed the ancestor worship, which actually, yeah. And even one of the, um, um, emperors and his mum and the whole royal family converted to Catholicism back then, which is amazing. I thought, yeah. Um, but I did, I did read in my research that the um, Jesuits couldn't handle Chinese music, so they, um, <laughs> so they brought harpsichords to China. Oh, is that yeah, right? they brought Italian, you know, things. Yeah, and which is why, and the architecture, which is why you can still, I, I think, the remnants of Baroque architecture in the for Forbidden City, you know, from the 1600s. Um, you know, the the big, you know. Yeah, Baroque sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I, I, so I love that kind of connection, which is in a way why I keep, I, I like sticking to my religion in a way because um, um, of that connection with China that it's had actually since the Nestorian period. I don't know if you know about Nestorianism going to China. And yeah, I just love. I just love anything to do with East meeting West. If I, I don't want to use that term too much, but you know, that analogy East meets West, but, yeah. um, but it definitely through religion, it, it, it has happened many times in history. Yeah. And you can yeah. see, you can see the, um, you can see the connection still today. In, yeah. In some of the ways that the practices are the same. And I suppose particularly what the ways that the music is, is used as, as you, you, would have found out yeah absolutely and even um on that note i think we're touching on globalism that is not so old because in the tang dynasty um you know the emperor maybe had a bit of turkish blood chinese emperor and then there was um there were instruments and things brought from the muslim countries and um and that's one of the reasons why the ohu is in China, because the ohu originally was not a Chinese instrument. And so after all my, you know, quest for being Chinese, I ended up with an instrument that actually is not Chinese anyway. <laughs> so, and so that just has transformed my thinking because I'm thinking, well, then there's no need really to assert some sort of cultural identity through music. You can, but in the end, um, everything is from somewhere else. Yeah. Because we are always sharing. Everything yeah. borrowed from somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the quest for originality no. ends nowhere. No, yeah. <laughs> like what's authentic really is. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of people um, equate the Yohu with China. Is that Chinese sound or the bamboo flute? Yeah. So, I mean, that's good enough, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but really it's, yeah. yeah. So you, you, your, your two, um, I suppose, passions might be too strong of a word, um, but would be religion and music. Would that sort of yeah, be? Yeah, I'd say spirituality, I guess. Yeah. Spirituality and music. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. To, to me, I sort of see... Um, those two things as being fundamental to 
human existence. I think um, so. Yeah. I've, some of the some of the books I read, the one that comes to mind is um, Nicholas Wade's uh, "The Faith Instinct." Oh. Is uh, he sort of charts the um, development of religion? Mm-hmm. But one of the key aspects of of that is um, is the is the influence of music in that development. Yes. And I suppose it's impossible for us to know these days, but the question is sort of what came first? Uh-huh. Was, was it music or religion? And, yes. and, and what what was born out of yes. the other? Um, there's, there's, um, I was just giving a talk the other day to the some of the master students here who are studying Chinese cultural policy, but they wanted a lecture on music. So I went, and um, I talked about... Um, two of the ancestors, the primordial ancestors of the Chinese um, Han people. Because, you know, there's many ethnic groups in China. Yeah, yeah. And Han being the, sort of like the majority. Yeah. The, yeah, and so um, so um, the Han civilization emerged out of the Neolithic period in the sort of in the central plains of China. So China started off very, as a very small country. You know, it's, now it's, it's yeah, yeah, giant. Yeah, yeah. But, um, just kept expanding yeah, yeah. <laughs> with lots of territorial issues you know, yeah, with Tibet yeah. and Xinjiang probably anyway um, so but yeah so when it was a Neolithic sort of civilization working with clay um, yeah the the ancestors they talk about are um, Nuwa and Fusi Nuwa was half serpentine they were both half serpentine so they were humans to the waist and then had the tails of a serpent and um, they allegedly repopulated the earth after a very big flood. <laughs> I wonder if that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah here we go with the cross-cultural pollination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After, and they made people from clay, you know, and they, they shaped people from clay and then little figures of clay became humans. Yeah, and then you... Uh... Once again, another story from, uh, from Greek. <laughs> I find that very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even with your creation stories, it's hard to find authenticity. Oh no! Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's very interesting, and um, and also if you look at clay work from Chinese China's Neolithic period, it actually looks like Aboriginal art with the same circles for water and life, oh, and wow. then the crisscross yeah. on the on the reptiles. So it's, it's actually quite mind boggling when you look at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but they were saying, okay, Nuwa, the the female creator, she also made the hulusu which is an instrument that i play it's a gourd pipe um i have it here actually if you want to see it and um and then her husband who taught people how to farm apparently um also made an instrument so from the earliest times people are talking about sound production you know through instruments so yeah i think you're right with music and um the religions you know um Evolving at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I suppose in, in one in one general sense, they're tro- they're both trying to get to the same thing. Yeah, which I is guess a so. uh, a deeper experience of, than what we can ordinarily perceive. That's right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And do you when when you do your performances? Are you do you try and sort of remain aware of that, um, that sort of elemental, experiential and transcendental aspect of, of the music that you're playing? Um, sometimes. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's probably unfair to ask. I oh, know. I mean, I do try to, but often I'm just so worried about how well I'll play. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but if it's a relaxed sort of atmosphere, like when I'm playing for Stephanie for the Interfaith Gatherings, um, where I'm, I don't know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not being judged by anyone, <laughs> then I really just relax and it's actually, I am just wanting to contribute, you know, in a spiritual sense. Um, yeah, so, when, so when, you, when you play in a more relaxed environment, you, you, you're, you're better able to sort of enjoy the music for what it, for what it is and for what it I think brings so, to yeah. yeah, I think so, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, the worst situation is when I know who's coming and there's some big music, you know, professor or, you oh, know, yeah, and yeah. then I'm, oh, no, they're sitting there. Or if you just see them by chance and then I really freeze up. And yeah. so it's better not to know who's coming half the time. <laughs> just, you know. And what, yeah. what about when you're composing? Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so they say that, com- well, I, I was taught by a very interesting lady at uni 
Um, her name's Winsome Evans and she specialized in early music, which is what I love. And um, she said um, the medieval um, understand, European understanding of writing music is that the, um, the mind is inspired by God and it come, the inspiration flows from the hand to the wrist. And that's why there's the beautiful calligraphy, you know, from that period. And that's how people, yeah. And you think of all the amazing, you know, like um, the amazing uh, musicians who've lived through, especially like Hildegard of Bingham, you know, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. who've lived through time, like they, um, um, the beautiful music that they've written. <clears throat> and yeah. And I think really when you write music, you, you are channeling and not just in Europe, but in other countries too, they are really channel, channeling from the other dimension you know yeah I, I believe that yeah and that probably yeah. comes coming full circle that's probably uh, a good uh description or starting point for that sacredness of music yes it's channeling the divine in a way through sound through what you write down um yeah at the moment i think at that moment um what you receive and you interpret through sound yeah. i think is quite sp- quite special just an expression of the of the divine through the personal yeah through the person i think so yeah yeah so and therefore you you arrive at music with no boundaries you know and that's how we do it oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, nick yeah. we'll we'll leave it there thank you very much for uh um, letting me talk with you today. It's been, it's been it's a really interesting pleasure. conversation. Well, thanks very much, Nick. Thank you, Jack. And yeah. yeah, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure.